0: Hi there and welcome along to the On The Whistle podcast. I'm your host Zain Nabi and joining me for this very special edition to wrap up the Women's AFCON, which was history making exciting in so many ways is our man on the ground. Welcome Alistair Howarth, our cross platform reporter, a man who's been very busy over the last few weeks. Ali, it's good to have you with us. I know you are just soaking up the last few days in Rabat, um, in a wonderful coffee shop where you're just bringing in all the ambience. And how are you doing, sir?
1: Yeah, p- apologies for the for the background <laughs> noise. Um, the Wi-Fi is at a premium um, in my in my apartment, so I've had to come here. <laughs> but but aside from that, I'm doing really really well. Kind of enjoyed the tournament and enjoying the fact that I didn't have to rush off immediately as, as some some people had to. I know some people who were at the final that mm-hmm. finished at eleven they were doing mix zones until well past one o'clock in the morning and then had to catch a five a m four a m flight so I'm very glad I didn't have to do that. <laughs>
0: Absolutely, absolutely. And, you know, we're so glad you're here. Um, we're recording this podcast on a Tuesday, so South Africa are arriving back in country. There's going to be um, a parade. There's going to be various celebrations for them. Um, we know that you spoke to uh, the winning coach, Desiree Ellis, after the final. Um, I have to start here with you, with you, Alice, as I'm basking this glory for those who listen to the podcast regularly. You know we pride ourselves on being Africa's biggest braai. Bryan is a South African cultural tradition. I myself am South African. If you listen, then you know. If you don't know, now you know. But Alistair, what I want to know from you, notice what I did there, is find out how Banyana Banyana won this tournament.
1: I mean, I think I think Reynald Pedros, the, the coach of the Moroccan side, said it best. And he said, you know, when asked why, why his team didn't beat South Africa, why they couldn't beat them in the finals, he said, look, they're the they're the best team. They're they're a better team than us, and they play the best football. And you know, ultimately, I think that's the reality. You know, Desiree Ellis, who's you know, yeah, like you said, I spoke to after the after the match, and has been generous enough to come onto our podcast before, and is just such a brilliant, brilliant person. Has has put together a great side, um, and I think you know they're the definition of being more than the sum of their parts. You know, at times they play some electric football, but but they've also, over the years, have learned how to get the job done, even when they're when they're not playing well. I mean, she referenced a lot post match in the final, the fact that they actually played a lot worse football than they did in 2018 when they made it to the final, completely outplayed Nigeria in the final and still lost. Um, And so I think that's that's how they've done it is they built this team, they built this incredible community around the squad that she's had the chance to do over the last six years. And now they've had the experience of losing, they've had the experience of what it takes to be a winner, you know, and you know, they they deserve it so much. You know, they played every single one of the other three semifinals. They beat Nigeria, they beat Zambia, and then they beat Morocco. And you know, I think that just is a testament to to how good a side this is. And you know, they didn't need extra time to do it in any of those matches. Obviously, they wrote their luck, um, particularly in that match against Zambia. But, you know, in the final against Morocco, from start to finish, they were the better side. They thoroughly deserved it. You know, they, they, they really deserved to be the champions of Africa.
0: South Africa have had so many near misses in this competition, including when Desiree Ellis played for the national team. How much does it mean for South Africa to finally lift this title?
1: Yeah, well, I mean, coach is usually one of the most calm and measured people. You know, every press conference is, you know, runs the next game or heads are focused, whatever. She was like a giddy schoolgirl, it was hilarious, just so excited. You know, and you could just see how much it meant to her, you know, she's been on this pod to tell us about, you know, the struggle she faced as a player, you know, growing up in apartheid South Africa, not even being able to play for the national side until she was in her 30s, you know, losing her job in a factory in Cape Town because her bus from Joburg from a tournament she went to broke down and she missed work. Um, and, and, you know, the whole South African team is like that. You have some of these players, you know, like Janine van who's I think this was for eighth tournament, you know, Noko Matalo, the other centre-back, who, you know, is, I think, well, over 160 caps for the national side. And so, you know, it means so much to them. And they put so much work into this, you know. Um, our, you know, our friend of the pod, Lawrence Poller, was, was telling me that before the tournament, he was speaking to to another friend of the pod, Pitzo Mosimane. And Pizzo was saying that actually Banyana are now, they're the flagship team of South Africa because they're the ones who are pushing boundaries. They're the ones who are, who are kind of, yeah, winning. They're the ones who have done so well over the last few years. And and I think you could see how much it meant to them. they put so much work. And there was, you know, so many of them spoke about fate and destiny and, you know, how much that this was their birthright almost to win this tournament and it just, it, it meant so much to them and it was brilliant to see and I, I just hope that when they return to South Africa that they're getting the kind of the hero's welcome that they so thoroughly deserve.
0: And I want to capture some of that spirit and I know that you did some Mix Zone interviews after the final so right now on the pod you're going to hear from Banyana Banyana's coach Desiree Ellis. She guided the team to the WAFCON success and here's Alistair's interview with her in the Mix Zone.
2: Over the moon, you know, um, we had the objectives, um, we went way back home in South Africa, and Jermaine said we, we want to win it, and I said, well, there's a first match of she said, no, if we win it, then we don't worry, we qualify for World Cup, etc. Yeah. But the players were absolutely magnificent today, I, I just could feel it, somebody asked me if I'm okay, and I said, yes, my job is done, it's up to the players, also they said to the players, you might not hear us, so you've got to help each other, and they were so you there. They were selling all the way, but they
1: were so, so good for you. And coach, for you, you know, like, thinking even back as far as 2000, you know, it's been so long. And you've been the one person who's been through it all, it feels like, you know, for you personally, you know.
2: Just... I think it's amazing. Our country needed this. Our country needed some good cheer. Our country needed some hope. And for everything that, the support that giving us, You know, so it's a big thank you to us Olympics, and now this, what more could Cecil ask for, because that African football association, thank you. Mm-hmm. Uh, when we were faced with adversity um, during our COVID situations, they came to us. Um, our president was always on hand here to support us, but the fans back home, for so the coaches back home, this
1: is and Coach, I remember you telling us on, on the podcast about you being fired from your job in a factory, because you had to go and play football. you know How special is it for you now seeing your players, these youngsters, you know, I spoke to Tabi Seng yesterday, having the opportunities now to play that just didn't exist. 18 years
2: old and there's so many that have come before. Timing is just right, the timing is just right, you know. The sacrifices that you make, this is the success. I could have done my B license, I think it was in 2010, but I didn't have a full-time job. I had to pay my car and I thought I'm away for four months. I lose my car, I lose my house. I sacrificed that. Didn't do my 8 I bought a cafe. I bought this
1: doesn't matter now. This
2: is the biggest thing and the sweetest thing.
1: And coach, finally, you know, you've got one gold medal. Are we going to see a second one at the World Cup?
2: <laughs> Look, uh, first things first. We're going to celebrate as much as we can. We'll get ready. We'll prepare really well. This team has huge potential. Team wasn't here. Gabriela Soldado wasn't here. Many others. So I think the team has... And now they know what they're capable of. They were so determined and so focused. And when they came out, they said that's not going to deter them. So we'll take it step by step and build up towards
0: it and see what we can do. Alistair, you described Desiree as um, somebody who was incredibly giddy after the final. I mean, fantastic that you got her so soon afterwards. You can certainly hear how excited she was. And for every winner in a final... There's also got to be a loser. So I have to ask you, I mean, what about Morocco? How do they look back at this tournament and, and getting so far, um, but also uh, missing out on just winning?
1: Yeah, I mean, look, losing a final is always going to hurt and it's going to be difficult and, and the team is going to really kind of suffer for a while until they kind of reflect. But when they do reflect, this tournament has been nothing but a success. You know, the, the, the team, 18 months ago, this team was you know, on the edges, the fringes of African football. They hadn't qualified for, for a WAFCON in over 22 years. You know, they hadn't they, you know, they were nobodies. 18 18 months later, they are in the final of the competition. They've broken the record attendance for, for a woman's AFCON attendances, not once, but twice. Um, and, and they played some really good football along the way. I mean, you have to take your hats off to, to Morocco because they have shown not just Africa, but the world, how to develop women's football and and the answer is just invest you know morocco as far as i'm aware is the only country in the world that has two fully professionalized leagues yeah. for women's football wow. you know they're backed by the federation you know they played more friendlies and more preparation than any other team coming into the WAFCON, and and they hosted a brilliant tournament and so you know for this morocco side having have no experience to come through the tournament beat nigeria push South Africa all the way. Yes, they were second best in the final, but they still made it close. You know, there is nothing they can take away from this term except for positives. And when you look at the investment they put into the youth sides, you know, creating an under 17s National League, as well as, you know, the structure they haven't played, uh, you know, I think myself and most of the journalists who are here would agree that over the next couple of decades, we we're probably going to see the Moroccan women's team in the final a lot more often because they've really put the groundwork in to make themselves a really successful country.
0: All very good points there, and certainly a wonderful result for the host nation, even though they didn't win the tournament. I have to ask you, looking ahead to the World Cup next year, how will the teams look going into that? We know that this tournament also served as a qualifier uh, for um, the Women's World Cup. That'll take place in the Antipodes. Um, What's your take on that? I mean, it's
1: it's always so hard to to compare across you know continents, isn't it? To see you know to judge how these teams will do based off of past performances. But I think what we have seen is is the general level of African football has increased so much, um, and, and the teams will not be easy to beat. You know, Morocco and South Africa are both extremely well organized you know, Nigeria, if they can kind of sort out their internal problems, still have, you know, an incredible squad with some fantastic players. And when you look at some of the teams like Nigeria, like South Africa, you know, they came into this tournament missing their best players. You know, Banyana missing Tempi Kaplana also been on this podcast as well as Gabriela Salgado, their best defender, Nigeria missing Asisa Oshuala, and now record winning um, Africa's probably best ever footballer. And so, you know, they, I think they're gonna be a lot better when it comes to the World Cup. Morocco and, and Zambia have shown that they're really well organized and will be a threat. But I mean, but the reality is women's football is, is improved a lot across the across the world. And we've seen that in the Euros, we've seen standard of football that, that has been played there and it's really, really high. And so I think these teams will, you know, it won't be the walkovers that we've come to sometimes expect when, when the big sides are playing them. We've seen teams like Nigeria go toe-to-toe with Canada, the Olympic champions. But I think there still is that gap, particularly particularly with Europe now, because we've seen how much football is in Europe, and so I think you know we 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 also spoke about this a lot at, at the at the WACON, and there were there was a big sense of people like you know Desiree or or others, even Patrice Motsepe was saying that um, you know he expects an, an African women's team to win the World Cup before a men's team because they they've shown that they can close that gap much faster than they can in the men's game. But yeah, it's always really hard to judge. Um, but I, but I, what I'll say is these African teams have shown that they'll prepare. For instance. I don't think any team will come into the world cup better prepared than Morocco. I wouldn't be surprised if they're playing six, seven friendlies, you know, uh, playing against the best teams in the world. Nigeria already have friendly set with the U S and Japan. So the teams are much, much better prepared than they have been in previous world cups. And I think, I think we'll see that reflected in the way they play in Australia and New Zealand.
0: Wow. We could see an African team win a world cup. That would be amazing. Um, as we conclude the pod, the WAFCON's taken place uh, for all intents and purposes. Everyone's very positive about the tournament and about the impact it's had. Um, what are your overall takeaways about the women's game and what now for it?
1: I think the biggest takeaway from this tournament, I've said it, you know, pretty much every time I've appeared on anywhere throughout the tournament is that it's competitive. You know, gone are the days of Nigeria beating someone 8-0 and 6-0 every time. And gone are the days of which the small teams come just to make up the numbers. You know, they expanded the tournament to 12 teams from 8 and there's four debutants and four other teams who hadn't been in the competition for over a decade, might as well have been a um, and, and, and they showed that they were competitive, you know, looking at teams like Botswana, Botswana had a terrible run in terms of the teams they played, they played Nigeria, South Africa, Cameroon, and Morocco, and yet every single game they were extremely competitive, they narrowly lost all of those games, but they could easily, easily have won. Um, and, you know, I think that's the, the biggest thing is I'd say, you know, similar in the men's game, we've seen this kind of rising middle class of African countries who have shown that they can actually compete in oh, yeah. the best, and the best teams no longer are in a category of their own. In the women's game, you know, that's Nigeria. They're no longer kind of expected to steamroll everyone. And, and so I think that's the kind of biggest takeaway is teams are preparing better, teams are investing more. Uh, I mean, none more so than Morocco. But the second thing I would, I would say is that, you know, the... the the kind of demand for women's football is there. I mean, yesterday I was speaking with the the head of the Moroccan leagues um, and the president of of the Moroccan football leagues, and she said that they had no idea that this many fans would turn up to to watch the game. She said, you know, previously women's games would, you know, get maybe three or 400 fans. And yet I was there three hours before kickoff at the final. I had to get out of my taxi a mile away from the stadium because it was already so congested that I just had to walk. And, you know, three hours before the kickoff, the stadium was already full and there was, you know, another 15, 20,000 plus fans outside the stadium. And so what I'd say is there is the demand for women's football. You know, we have this assumption that people don't want to watch women's football. And, you know, we've shown this term. But it's just not true. You know, there is huge demand for it. And I, so I think that's probably the most encouraging thing coming out of this, this popcom.
0: And long may that continue, Alistair. Well, listen, for those of you who are listening out there, please get in touch on our social media accounts, otw underscore podcast on Twitter or Instagram, or you can find us on YouTube or Facebook. Just search for the On The Whistle podcast. We love to hear from you. You tell us if you agree with uh, Patrice Motsepe and whether we'll see a women's team win the World Cup before a men's African team. And tell us what you thought about the tournament. Tell us what you thought about the podcast. Tell us if you think that Nigeria were unlucky not to win. Say that sort of goading nigerian fans being a south african we love you nigeria i'm joking but alistair your work on the ground has been sterling i hope you've enjoyed your show not only has this tournament been history making for the women's game it also has been for our podcast um, this was our first international deployment um, and we were so glad to see you there um, it would be remiss even though we're ending the podcast not to ask you how you've enjoyed it and also for you to highlight some of the work you've been doing you've been doing other podcasts you've been doing big television networks um how have you enjoyed all of that and for those who might have missed those clips who have you been doing work for
1: (laughs) yeah look i mean my first experience of doing a big international tournament I, i must say you know i'm excited to go home and sleep uh, I've, I've missed that also to be able to t- tell what day of the week it is you know i still have no idea what day of the week. is it a weekend is it the week i have no idea um but it's, it's it's been a lot of hard work and it's been a lot of fun i've really enjoyed it you know learned so much not just about football not just about the women's game here but you know just how the whole system works how, how it all goes down um, and it's been a joy to be honest you know i've you know had some real kind of blessed opportunities to do some work for bbc appear on cnn quite a few times um so check those out on my on my twitter um, if you haven't seen them as well as just writing for lots of various different great publications who are kind of promoting the women's game either in the uk or in the us um and it's you know it's been it's been a brilliant experience you know the tournament has been very very well managed you know the Doing my first tournament in the women's game is is slightly more pleasant than doing it in the men's because there isn't just the kind of hordes of thousands of journalists kind of pressing in on you every time you're trying to do a mix zone or anything. And the players are really happy to talk to you. You know, you don't get any Mo Salahs. who just walk straight through the mix zone and ignore everyone. You know, even Rizal Ayan, who you know, scored the goal in the final, but lost, obviously, with Morocco. She still took, you know, 20, 30 minutes to speak to all the media. And, and you know, it's just great to see that. And it's been great to be a part of that. And you know, I think it's just been a brilliant, brilliant ride and been been brilliant to do some stuff for, for On The Whistle.
0: Absolutely. We're so proud of the work you've done and we're glad you enjoy that experience. And for those who want to check out his social media accounts, please go. He is on Twitter at ahowath97. That's the digits nine and seven. At, uh, uh, yeah that's it <laughs> you can also email him at ahowarth97 at gmail.com we'd love to hear from you if you've come this far as we say always leave a rating leave a review post a comment it certainly helps people find the show and we love interacting with you all the best and uh, Alistair safe travels we'll see you, we'll see you soon in person to give you a hug <laughs>